Am I on? Cool. All right. Uh, we're going to be in First Peter this morning, chapter 2, starting in verse 1. I'll let you all turn there. So I'll just share a little bit about myself to get started. Um, like you said, my name is Drew. I'm his nephew, so if I look or sound like Dan at all, it's because I've been his nephew for 21 years. And if you think he's not old enough to have a nephew that's 21, what do you hear that I'm not even his oldest nephew? So, uh, like I said, I'm a junior at Olivet Nazarene University studying youth ministry. And on campus, I have the privilege of being a resident assistant in Nesbitt Hall, which is one of the freshman guys' dorms on campus. This is my second year doing that, so in my first three years of college, I've never lived anywhere but a freshman dorm. And it kind of makes me feel like I need to grow up a little bit. Uh, but then also, when I'm not doing that and spending time with freshmen, I get to be a small group leader for eighth grade boys at the church that I go at up there. So I still feel like I need to grow up a little bit. Um, in this church, I've got the privilege of interning there over this past summer with the junior high, and uh, it's been fantastic. And also, like you said, I'm a member of the Preaching Ambassadors Program in Olivet, which is just a small program of about 60 students or so. We travel around to churches in Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin, and just do this on Sunday mornings. And this is probably one of the bigger churches I've preached at in that program. So that's the kind of churches we see um, through the program. And, okay, all that bit of confession. When you visit these churches, I've gone you know, from anywhere in these different states. And I grew up in Normal, Illinois. And you know, when you go to these churches, people have never heard of Normal. And so I get the privilege of making some sort of pun with the name. It'd be like, you know, for those of you unfamiliar with Normal, I can assure you it lives up to its name. Like, that's, that's always a good one. But when you come to Washington, everyone knows Normal, so it's not as fun. Anyway, so that's just a bit about me uh, and where I'm at right now. But before I go any further, let me just wish you all a Happy New Year. Uh, and as I was writing this sermon, I kept thinking, or I was having difficulty figuring out how I wanted to address this past year, because I feel like people had a lot of mixed feelings about how 2016 went. Um, so I felt like there was something that needed to be said about it, but I just didn't exactly know what. And everybody I've talked to, you know, friends, family, residents, whatever it is, everyone that asked me about 2016, they've all had different opinions about it. So instead of spewing off their opinions or my opinion or Fox News' opinion or the Facebook world's opinion, I'm just going to read the Bible and see what it says in there. I think it's the safest thing to do, so I'm just going to do that. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
so it's significant to note in this passage that the recipients of this letter, First Peter, were experiencing some sort of discrimination at the time, some sort of prejudice, hatred, maybe even the persecutions under Emperor Nero in the mid to late first century. Um, at the very least, the audience in this letter, they just don't feel at home in their home. They just feel culturally distant from the society around them. And I think that that kind of adequately you know, fits the description of a lot of people in our culture today. I mean, in looking back in this past year, it's clear that a lot of the, the significant culture-defining headlines that stuck out to us kind of rendered this nation uncomfortable, to say the least. You know, whether it's you know, the Blue Lives Matter versus Black Lives Matter, or Trump versus Hillary, or different forms of you know, hatred, racism, riots, political debates, terrorism, poverty, hatred, whatever it is, um, it's just made a lot of divide in this country. And a lot of people, I feel like, just it's hard for them to feel at home in their home. Um, and I, at least in this past year, I can say that for a good chunk of the year, the country was swept by a certain fear and division that I haven't seen in my lifetime. Um, and so part of me wonders if the world is just becoming a darker place or if I'm just growing up. I don't really know what it is. But, I mean, however dark we find the world to be, I mean, it doesn't have to be that way. And I think that Peter would agree with that. So Peter is writing to you know, hopeless people that they can find hope again. So I think that Peter has some good advice um, in regards to how we can regain hope. You know, it's as if this entire letter is just answering the question, how do we regain hope? So first off, look at Peter's use of the word grow in verse 2. And he starts in verse 1 by saying, Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. So the vices that Peter lists in verse 1 here, where he says malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, they're all general enough that his message in this verse isn't necessarily a moral one, but a hopeful one. He's not saying do this and don't do that, as much as he's simply just saying grow. Like to Peter, the goal of the Christian life is to always be improving and maturing in some way. And this is true for all believers, not just the new converts. Because, I mean, even the people that have been following Jesus for 50 years still have the responsibility to grow. Um, so, but spiritual growth, it's, it's hard to define and even harder to measure. And I find this to be abundantly true as a student trying to do research, because there's no sound numerical way to say, yes, this person has spiritually grown. It's just really vague. So then we have to ask ourselves, you know, what does Peter mean when he says grow? And yeah, we can look at this through a moral lens, like Peter suggests, because I mean, avoiding um, malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, it's definitely a sign of growth, but I think that if we consider growth as just an avoidance of evil, it's just, it's not quite enough. Uh, so consider this. Like I said, I have a privilege of leading a small group of eighth grade boys at the church that I go to. Um, so I get, I've seen them grow a lot. I've been with them for about a year and a half now, and when I first started with these kids, it was a miracle if I could get them to sit down and remember my name. Uh, there's still one of my students that consistently calls me Stanley because he thought for the longest time my name was Stanley. <laughs> but I think he got confused when I convinced him that my name was Stanley as a joke. So that's probably on me. But um, they weren't immoral by any means. They were just, you could just tell that there was a lot of immaturity in them. But I mean, they're, they're junior high kids, for crying out loud. What do you expect? But in the time that I've been with them now, over this past year and a half, they've gone from you know, widely disinterested in spiritual growth to impressively intuitive. Um, 
You can tell that they're growing just by their level of curiosity. Like they've even asked questions about why evil exists and what happens after death and all, all these like great unanswerable questions of the universe. I mean, don't get me wrong, they're still junior high boys. I still remember one time a couple of months ago, uh, we had this full length conversation about eschatology using only Star Wars metaphors. Like, uh, Jesus was a Jedi master. I think he had a white lightsaber blade and the demons were Sith Lords. And I think the Holy Spirit was the force. And it was, it was really fun, honestly. Um, but I, that's, just, that's what growth looks like to a junior high boy. And I think they all actually learned something that night. Um, and so this isn't to say that you know, these kids are done growing, obviously. They've just taken a good step forward in saying, hey, this whole God thing, I think I want to pay a little bit more attention to it and take it a little bit more seriously and ask more questions about it. And that's what growth is. So I think that's what Peter is getting at when he tells his reader to grow. You know, it's just this, this realization that there are always improvements that can be made. And obviously that looks different for everybody. I mean, maybe for you, like, in this new year coming forward, you, there's a bad habit you want to quit, or you want to fix your relationships with people, or you want to find new ways to serve, or you want to deepen your prayer life. I don't know what it is, but you know, growing is just finding ways to mature. Um, so whatever it is that, you know, that we want to grow, we have to remember what it is that drives us to grow. If you look in verse 3, uh, it says that, or Peter says that you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So this is the irrefutable truth that serves as the most appropriate reminder for us today. And even when things seem dark and out of our control, the Lord is good. And, we've, and since we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we can grow. But that raises the problem, because then maybe for some of us, maybe 2016 for you didn't exactly reveal how good the Lord is. And if that's you, then you have to remember that Peter's writing to a people that did not exactly see the Lord's goodness every day either. That's why Peter's just reminding them. When you, what he's doing is just saying, like, hey, remember when you first tasted the Lord's goodness? Like, remember what it was like when it was all new and amazing? He's saying, don't forget that. Because I know that times may be hard, but you've tasted that the Lord is good, and that can be enough to keep you going right now. You understand that it gets hard to see that the Lord is good when the news only shows us you know, killings and kidnappings. Um, but just because there's evil in the world doesn't mean that God isn't still good and that the world isn't still beautiful. Like, there's still beauty in the world to be appreciated. And I think that the world only stops being beautiful when we stop noticing how beautiful it really is. So, Peter shifts his language a bit in verse 5. And he says that instead of, instead of urging his readers to grow, he says that they are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So he begins this building metaphor by saying that Jesus is the living stone, the capstone, the cornerstone, and that we also are like living stones. Now, he's not equating us with Christ. That's not what he's doing here. What he's saying is that we are being built into something special in communion with Christ. So what does that mean? Well, the language that Peter uses here is understood to be temple imagery, which was common in the New Testament writings and ancient Jewish circles. I mean, the temple was a pretty big deal to ancient Jewish people. It was the hub of all the priestly duties and the earthly dwelling place of God himself. So there really wasn't much anything more spiritual than the temple. But the use of the word living here in this passage doesn't suggest that this new spiritual house that we are being built into is an actual physical building. 
but that it's made up of us and that we get to share in the priesthood with Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that we're responsible for slaughtering animals and things like that. Um, it, it's just talking about like, these modern manifestations of worship. I mean, sacrifices to the ancient Jewish people were just a manner of giving God his due and acknowledging who he is and who we are. So these spiritual sacrifices that Peter's talking about is just you know, whatever you think is appropriate to give God his due and acknowledge who he is and who we are. Uh, some people look at this passage and think that it points to the Eucharist or communion or the Lord's Supper, whatever you're familiar with. I mean, after all, in verse 3, Peter concluded the passage by saying that you have tasted that the Lord is good, you know, suggesting that at least some part of the Christian life deals with eating or breaking bread together. So it's understood to these people that Jesus um, was the ultimate sacrifice and the end to sacrifices, and so then partaking in the Eucharist then was just recognizing Jesus' sacrifice. But I don't think this passage is you know, strictly telling us to break bread and drink wine together. I think it's just telling us simply to live together. So we look at, uh, in verse 5, Peter's use of the word house. The Greek word oikos there, you know, it can be translated as house, but it's also, it can be used as this idea of like a family or a household or more appropriately, a home. It's not just a building, but it's a home. So Peter's saying that you, know, you are the home of which Christ is the center. And he's saying this home that you've been looking for, like it's found in spending time with your brothers and sisters. We are the home. Um, so um, just being together, living together, praying and worshiping together, that's how you feel at home. And yes, there's obviously value in sacraments and liturgy and the Eucharist and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think Peter is just telling us to simply be the people of God together. So think about it this way. As I mentioned earlier, I get to be a resident assistant, or RA, in one of the dorms on campus. Uh, so I have the opportunity to be a spiritual leader, mentor, friend to upwards of 35 freshman guys. And this is my second year doing that. Uh, so the university takes the RA position pretty seriously because they want them to be the spiritual leaders to these incoming freshmen. Um, and so there's this long, extensive application process to find who they want to give this responsibility to. So one thing they do, they recommend for their RAs, is to lead a Bible study every week for their residents. And since I've been an RA, I've taken that recommendation and led a Bible study for my residents um, each week. And now with a year and a half of this under my belt, I found that a Bible study is one of the least spiritual things I can do for my residents. And it's not to say that Bible study is worthless and ineffective because they've been good and I've enjoyed them a lot. All I'm saying is that you know, when I look back and think about the times that I best fostered a Christian community with the guys on my floor, I think about the times that I played basketball with them and ate meals with them and watched movies with them and played cards with them and made late night Taco Bell runs with them, you know, things like that. Um, because these guys, they were my friends and we love each other. We, we love each other as Christian brothers without actually reading the Bible together. And you know, what better way to be built into a spiritual house together, right? So don't hear me saying that you know, Bible study and sacraments are bad. Uh, that's, that's not what I'm saying because I love the Bible and I love sacraments. All I'm saying is that if we're going to be a holy priesthood and live lives that give praise to God, then maybe we should actually like being with each other. That's just what I'm saying. So, even though we're being built into a holy priesthood, we can't forget the one 
who makes it possible to do so. See, Christ is the cornerstone of this spiritual house. And maybe that's the biggest thing that we can keep in mind as we enter this new year. I mean, what has become the forefront of our Christianity? Because sometimes I think we get caught up in defending our faith and trying to ensure that Christianity survives the modern world, that the focus of our faith has become the Bible or logic or even ourselves. And we get caught trying to make God relevant that we forget that he's God, as wondrous and mysterious as he is. And there's a good friend of mine back at school who says that he hates apologetics and arguments defending the, the existence of God because he thinks that any God worth defending isn't a God worth following. Now, what he means by that is, like, he says that when he's, um, when he thinks about apologetics, he ends up doing a complete role reversal with God. And instead of God protecting him, he ends up protecting God from the very world that he created. Now, the intellectual side of me still finds beauty in apologetics, but I can see where he's coming from, and I think he raises a good point. And I think that this kind of mindset that keeps God at the center of our faith can help us move forward in this year as we become the people of God, or as we be the people of God. So being the people of God is certainly a privilege, and I think that it ought to be the most ideal way to live, but it's also just as much a responsibility. Look at verse 9. It says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, to understand these verses, you need a little Old Testament knowledge. So, verse 10 is a poem based off of a passage in the book of Hosea. Now, Hosea, simply put, is symbolic a lot of Israel's relationship with God. You know, God loves Israel, but Israel rebels against God, and kind of like an unfaithful wife. And so God promises punishment to Israel for the behavior. But the story of Hosea isn't a story of Israel's punishment as much as it is a story of Israel's redemption and forgiveness. Um, and so in verse 10, uh, it references Hosea's, Hosea's children receive a name change and assume a new identity upon being reconciled to God. And this is the image that Peter uses when he describes what it is to be the people of God. Uh, so it's certainly a privilege because, I mean, it doesn't matter what's in our past. God accepts us, and he has even chosen us as his beloved. And that's, that's the privilege of being the people of God. But there's also responsibility. Um, it says in verse 9 that we are a chosen people that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. So our duty is to declare God's praises, which seems pretty simple, right? Well, I think to understand the gravity of that responsibility, we need to look at this passage as a whole again. So, this passage started, um, Peter began by asserting that we are to grow in verse 2. And that growing happens because we have tasted that the Lord is good. So, let's talk about that for a moment. How can people who don't know God taste that the Lord is good if we, the people of God, don't declare the praises of him who called us? I'll come back to that in a minute. In the second part of this passage, Peter called us to be built into a spiritual house with Christ as the center uh, that we may bring him praise. <clears throat> so let's talk about that for a moment. How can we be built into a Christian community if we don't declare the praises of him who called us? So you see, growth and community aren't going to happen if we don't declare God's goodness. I think it's that simple. 
So I think the very way to regain hope in what may be a hopeless world is to just talk about what God has done for us. I mean, we all have a story of how we've been called from darkness into wonderful light, and I think that that very story can brighten up the world. So, I mean, there are so many beautiful things that we can share about our lives, and I think that our lives only stop being beautiful when we stop noticing how beautiful they really are. So, what's the best way for us to move forward in this new year? Simply put, just don't forget who we are. Because we are the people of God, and we should make that known. Um, so I'm just going to close with a story, as preachers do. Um, so this past summer, I said I was an intern at uh, the church I was at over um, in Bourbonnet. And we had a week-long mission trip to Kenosha, Wisconsin over the summer. And when we got up there, our, our group of students were split into teams of about six or seven. And we were assigned tasks to do in the community of Kenosha. So my squad we went to this Easter Seals day camp for disabled kids, and every day, all day, all we did was just play with the campers. That's all that we did. And you know, we did crafts with them, and we played outside until it was stupid hot, because it was July, then we'd go inside, and then they even had this two-foot wade pool outside that we could play in, and it was just a, a whole lot of fun, really. I enjoyed all of it. Um, but one of the students that came with us in in my squad was this kid named Nate, who was, he was a regular member of my small group at the church. Um, so I knew him pretty well. We had spent the year with him. I've seen him grow. I know him. Um, and so a lot of that week, I was just kind of observing him and seeing how he was interacting with the students and just see how he was doing. Um, <clears throat> and he was just being himself, which, of course, is to say he was being a quirky, awkward junior high kid. But he was just being himself with the campers, and he loved it. The kids loved him, and he loved them, and it was just a great week for him. And I was super proud of him when I told him that. Um, but then later in that week, I had a conversation with him uh, just about his experiences at the camp and everything, and he, he says to me, he says, like, I didn't realize that a mission trip could be this fun. Like, I thought that you had to do some sort of work or something, but we've just been playing with kids, and it's been having the same sort of impact. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so he didn't do anything out of the ordinary that week, but he had an extraordinary experience, and his eyes were opened, and he had something to share with the rest of our small group when he got back, and I made sure that he shared with the rest of our small group when we got back. Um, I think that's how simple this new year could be. I mean, Nate grew in that one week, and he was built into a spiritual house with, with me and the campers and the other members of our team, and then he had something to declare when he got back. And you know, I think that's what this new year could be. Like, again, he didn't do anything that was just not natural to him. The only difference was that he was looking. I mean, he was trying to find something, and he found it. Appropriately, the organization that sponsored that mission trip, they called that week Week of Hope. And I think that Nate found hope that week. And I just pray that as this as New Year comes our way, that we, the people of God, can find it too. Uh, so let me pray. God, we thank you for this, this new year and everything that comes with it. Uh, we thank you for the time you've given us together. I just pray that as we enter this new year that we don't forget that we are the people of God.
um, that you've called us to be someone, to be something, and I pray that we don't forget what that is. Um, Help this to be a year of growth, to be a year of community, um, and may the world know who you are because of us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.